worldtalkradio.com, the World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine, and we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept, and one we will explore today on the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe, and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. I'm broadcasting from sunny Arizona. We still have some dust in the air from our haboob. I would imagine that by now almost everybody has seen pictures of that sandstorm. It was quite awesome. Uh, when you see sand coming at you that's in the, in the air 70 miles, not 70 miles, a mile up, and is a hundred miles long and it's rolling through your town. It's an awesome scene to watch. I'll have souvenirs on the top of my furniture for a while until I get around to dusting everything. I don't really believe much in dusting, but maybe I'll get around to it. It certainly is a storm that no one here will ever, ever forget. And as I said, the, the show nature put on was absolutely awesome. Now and then, a book comes along that you just know is going to make a difference. And our guest today has written one of those books. It talks about staying sane and finding love in an insane world. I think most of us can relate to that. To set the stage, let me ask you some questions. You might want a pencil and and a piece of paper and jot down some answers and some thoughts. And I know that during the show... You're definitely going to want to take some notes today. So some questions. Do you feel like your life and your relationships are flourishing? You know what flourishing is. Do you have a set time and a plan for self-care? What I mean is, do you take time to figure out why you think and feel about things the way you do? Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? Do you know what your triggers are? You know, when somebody pushes your buttons, do you know why you react the way you do? Do you know how to access your inner space or do you even know what inner space is? If not, you really need to pay attention today. Do you know what your purpose is? Do you have a passion? If you have a passion, what is it? Do you have boundaries and do you know how to enforce those boundaries? Do you know when it's all right to relax them just a little bit? If you don't know these things, then how can you know when you've met that special someone that you can build a relationship with, maybe even build a life with? How do you discover who someone else is if you don't know who you are? 
How do you go about building a life with another human being in a way that brings some measure of happiness and contentment to each of you? Our guest today has written a book that covers most of these questions. The book is The Art of Flourishing, a new east-west approach to staying sane and finding love in an insane world. You can find my review on the self-improvement blog and you can get it at amazon.com and we'll talk later about how you can get it where you can find it and i would put this at you know on your list of must reads the author dr jeffrey rubin is a graduate of princeton university columbia university and union institute he received psychoanalytic training at lennox hill hospital in new york city and the westchester institute for training in psychoanalysis and psychotherapy he has published four books, numerous articles, and has taught at various universities, psychoanalytic institutes, and meditation and yoga centers. It almost sounds like an oxymoron to put psychoanalytic institutes and meditation and yoga centers in the same sentence. Dr. Rubin is widely regarded as one of the leading authorities on the integration of meditation and psychotherapy, and I think it's one of the most wonderful blends I've seen in a long time. That's my opinion. Dr. Rubin is especially interested in illuminating those forces in the world that are driving us crazy and those personal and collective resources we can draw on to not only stay sane, but to flourish in these challenging times. Dr. Rubin, welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. Dr. Cohen, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I am absolutely delighted and really look forward to hearing what you have to say. But let's start out. Tell us about yourself. Who is Jeffrey Rubin? Jeffrey Rubin is a person who's been interested since he was a teenager in how to live. Not just existing, not just surviving, but how he and he supporting others could live lives of greater meaning, aliveness, vitality, and, and purpose. Um, he's a person that came to feel that any one approach or any one school of thought or any one culture probably didn't hold all the answers. And so he has attempted to be open to what different traditions from different time periods, whether ancient meditative practices or 20th century Western psychological ones could help in this, in this quest to live better lives and, and help other people live better lives. I think he's also a person who uh, was exposed to a fair amount of pain uh, growing up, and uh, it became really important to treat people well and to help other people thrive and um, to realize that we both have potentials that we don't realize and and many of us have pain that's not always on the on the surface and so it's become important to me to to live a better life myself and then try to help other people in that same process no wonder you went into psychotherapy and no wonder you looked uh to buddhism for some answers um it's a lovely combination why did you write then this book the art of flourishing what led you here that's a good question, Irene. Um, after 9-11, practicing in New York City, what I noticed with a lot of clients was that they were, and colleagues and friends, was they were undergoing a kind of uh, strange malaise and an elusive kind of funk, characterized by 
quick irritation, a lot of self-doubt, and even if truth be told, a wondering by some if they were crazy. And as I started sort of exploring this and meditating on this and, and studying this, I began to feel that there were certain things that were going on in the culture that were contributing to our collective sense of malaise. Um, forces like the frenetic pace of life, the bombardment of information, much of it trivial and addictive, the expectation of having our wishes granted immediately. And I became interested in the ways people were responding to these challenges. And what I tended to see were two different kinds of responses, a kind of paralyzing pessimism and a relentless, um, naive optimism, no matter what things will work out. And as Martin Luther King once famously said, time doesn't heal all wounds, time just marches on. And I began to feel unless we live differently, uh, we were going to continue to struggle in the same ways that we were struggling. And I became interested in whether there was a third path between naive, relentless optimism and paralyzing pessimism. And I came to feel there was, and it's what I call realistic, grounded hope. Uh, when I was giving a talk on an earlier version of the book several years ago in Florida, um, my mother saw my papers, sp- I was visiting my folks, and my mother saw my papers spread out, and she leaned forward sort of conspiratorially, and she said, you're going to give them some hope, right? And I said, Ma, things are worse than we believe, and there's more hope than we know. And so this book, in a way, Irene, is is my statement about where I feel hope lies. And that's regardless of who's in office or what's happening in you know, religion or temples and churches. It's really what human beings themselves can do to both take fundamentally better care of themselves and create much more nourishing uh, and intimate friendships and intimate relationships. And your book really shows that that's where you're coming from. I love the foundation you gave it in and saying you really have to take care of yourself first. Um, most of us, many of us, have grown up thinking that we had to take care of everybody else and if there was any time and energy left over, then we could take care of ourselves. This but is a, it big tro- a big problem I think a lot of women fall into, that they're sort of trained to be other-centered. And it's something I talk about in the book, as you know, but I'll, let me say it for the audience, that, that then such people equate focusing on themselves with being horribly selfish. And then they feel very, very guilty, but what that leads to is self-neglect, and what that leads to in relationships is a sense of deprivation and then a sense of bitterness towards the other person. So it actually sabotages intimacy. It absolutely does. So let's start back at the beginning. What, in your point of view, is flourishing? Flourishing, there's a lot of talk these days about happiness. There's a happiness movement. Um, there are many, many best-selling books. Flourishing is not happiness. It's different than happiness. Flourishing is thriving, it's blooming, it's living on all cylinders, it's engaging life wholeheartedly. It's, uh, and the reason I say it's different than happiness is that if you're with a friend or a relative who's very ill, you could be carrying out that task wholeheartedly and with a lot of compassion and integrity, but it may not feel very good. Happiness too much, I think, in our culture is about me feeling good now. And so flourishing is more about living well rather than feeling good. Although a natural byproduct of living well is that you, you do feel better. 
but you're not searching immediately to feel better. You're searching to live correctly, wholeheartedly, with integrity. A big part of my vision of flourishing has to do with ethics and integrity. Uh, one of the chapters is called Embodying Your Values, Closing the Ethical Gap, and it's based on a talk I gave at the UN several years ago. And I think too many of the ideas that are surfacing in the culture these days are about you know one's own individual gratification. And while that's really, really crucial, we can see that we're in a collective crisis of values and we're getting very, very, very few role models of people in power or people with notoriety, whether athletes, entertainers, politicians, who are living with a lot of integrity. I mean, if we were forced to turn and, and say, who do we really, really admire? There are not so many of these figures. And I think we do all of us a disservice, especially the young, because I think the young are, are craving for ideals to believe in and, you know, people to get behind. And so I think it's a really important part of flourishing is closing the gap between our most cherished ideals and the actual way we're behaving. Ah, uh, sort of walking your talk. Yes. And I think it's doable. I really think it's doable, although it does take some work. It takes some reflection. It takes some honesty. It takes some patience, and it takes compassion. But I think it's, it's really doable. I want you to hold that thought. I want to come back to it, but it's time for us to take a break. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Rubin, for the Self-Improvement Show, saying stay tuned. We'll be right back. <laughs> Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Follow the World Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at World Talk Radio. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the World Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash World Talk Radio or follow along with us at World Talk Radio, the World Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? If you are dealing with chronic illness or a disability, at times you can feel lost with nowhere to turn. It doesn't have to be this way at all. You can become an active participant with your doctor in the healing process. Tune in to A Healthy Way to Be Sick with host Mark Lerner. Mark has developed techniques to make your healing a partnership. Each weekly show will cover four main topics and how you can take steps and hear from experts that know the value of patient participation. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. You are tuned in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Conlon with my 
my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Rubin. We're talking about flourishing. Dr. Rubin, in your book, you discuss how genuine self-care and healthy intimacy allow someone to flourish. Can you, can you describe those self-care pieces in a little more detail? Absolutely. Well, first of all, let's talk about what self-care isn't. Um, self-care is not, um, genuine self-care is not what I call cotton candy self-care. Cotton candy self-care, those who remember amusement parks, cotton candy and amusement parks, looks good, tastes good. But and rots your teeth. <laughs> what? And rots your teeth. It rots your teeth, but also it, you feel hungry three seconds later. Yes. You're hungry for more, more nourishment. So genuine self-care is that which truly nourishes your soul, that which truly at the end of the evening or the end of the vacation or the end of the day really makes you feel happy to be alive, fulfilled, connected, content, so forth and so on. So here are some of the pieces. I think it starts with what I call expanding inner space. Inner space is the capacity we all have. You may be all exercising it right now as you're listening. And it's that capacity to be centered, to have perspective, to see. It, we, it, we may have problems, and we may have physical pain, and we may have something that's uh, troubling us. But we have a perspective to look at it. We feel somewhat centered. We feel balanced. We have a spacious perspective. So it starts with that. And so, um, inner space can be accessed many, many ways. I like meditation, music, yoga. Some people like gardening, cooking. There are many, many different ways, but it's those activities that give you perspective, that widen how you're looking at something. Once you have expanded inner space, it, humor is another way to get to it. Some people watching comedy can, can get to it through that, or decluttering their desk is a way to get to that, or keeping a journal. Once we have a little bit more expanded inner space, the first thing we notice is that it's possible to access beauty. And by beauty, I don't just mean what looks good or what's conventionally thought of as beautiful, but it's that which enlivens us, draws our attention in, makes us feel happy to be alive. It could be the laughter of a child. It could be two butterflies cavorting in the air. There are many, many things. It's, it's in three areas, really, the beauty. It's um, uh, performers, artists. Um, it's natural beauty, a sunset. And it's also beautiful souls, people who have beautiful character, who after you're with them, you feel happier to be alive, more inspired to be your own uh, honest, whole self. So once we expand inner space, we can access beauty more easily, beauty within and beauty without. And then it's more, it's more possible to tune into our bodies and to notice the, um, the messages from our bodies. There's something many of you may know, a rumble strip. It's on the side of many highways, and it makes a loud noise. It reverberates up through your car if you start to fall asleep while you're driving and you drift off the side of the road. We all have our own personal rumble strips, those things that are like alarm clocks mm. that wake us up, and one of them are our feelings and our body sensations. So if you're feeling very, very uptight and tense and the phone rings, and you feel you must answer it. Sometimes it might be better not to answer it, let the answering machine pick up, but to do a few minutes of quiet breathing or to take a, a, a short walk or to pet your animal or to have a, uh, a meaningful discussion with someone at home or listen to mu meaningful music to center yourself. 
And then when you engage in the conversation later, it'll be from a whole different place. So tuning into your body and creating a little more harmony between your mind and your body, that's another aspect of self-care. And then another one is bringing spirituality down to earth and into your life. There's a whole chapter, as you know, on that, Irene. I won't go into all of it, but we use the word spirituality a lot right now in the culture, and often there's a vagueness about what it means. But bringing more of that into our life is another aspect of self-care, as is following our passion and tuning into our purpose. Sometimes people know when they're very young what they want to do for the rest of their lives, a vet save their beloved dog and they decide they want to be a vet but other people it takes longer and they may be middle age or even older than middle age and still not be quite sure what they want to do and it's really never too late to try to discover our purpose that which we were meant to do and one of the clues to purpose is those things we're passionate about by passion i don't mean obsessions or addictions but those things that afterwards make us feel alive uh, vital centered they give us energy they're the things that we uh, naturally wander to at night on the weekends when we're on vacation we don't we, nobody's asking us to do it but we normally we naturally like to do it. it it could be looking at a garden book or looking at photographs and then using that to to clue you into the fact that maybe you want to learn how to take photographs or you want to Uh, take more photographs, or you want to work on a garden, or that kind of thing. So it's expanding inner space, appreciating beauty, creating harmony between mind and body, bringing more spirituality into your life, handling your emotions more wisely, following your passion and your purpose, and, and one that we talked about earlier, which is embodying your values, living your highest values, and then bringing it together in some harmonious whole. I call that the symphony of the self. And then living authentically, making your life your own life, not a secondhand copy of someone else. Those are some of the elements of, uh, of self-care. And you go into them very, very beautifully in your book. You brought up a, a thought. Um, well, you brought up so many thoughts, actually. You, you state in your book, nothing is outside the spiritual journey. Dr. Wayne Dyer says there's a spiritual solution to every problem. Do you agree with him? Because you talk about this a good bit in your book. No. I mean, I'd have to know how he's defining it. But one of the things that... uh, I was thinking about this today, actually. One of the things is that spirituality is not the same as psychology. And I think there's a tendency in the culture right now, among certain segments of the culture, to really idealized spirituality, but one of the things I talk about in the book that hardly anyone really acknowledges is there's a shadow side to spirituality. There are pathologies of spirit. There are pitfalls on the spiritual path. Uh, The spiritual path can separate us from each other. It can make us more judgmental of other people that don't meditate or, or are inconsistent in their prayer life or don't go to church. Um, we can use spiritual stuff to actually make us feel more you know, special and alienated from other people. We can kind of mindlessly follow a teacher and neglect our own experience and fall into a cult. So there are these and other dangers on the spiritual path. So that's one question I would have about what, you're, what you just said, Irene. And the second is, I think there's a real value to psychology, and I think psychology tends to be neglected in the culture. And I think the psychological perspective offers something different than the spiritual perspective. The spiritual perspective tends to be a wider angle, angle lens. So let's get concrete here. So uh, a man kills um, some Amish children, 
and uh, a woman's husband and the wife of the kids that were killed and the husband that was killed um, she sets up a fund for the killer's wife and family right um, i remember that this is a uh, spiritual this is, we would not call this a psychological act we would call it a spiritual gesture a spiritual act in other words there's a wider sense of compassion there's a wider sense we're all in this together but i also think there's a place for that narrow lens when we look at things at meaning various things at once so a man loses his job and is very angry at home the wife needs to know that the man may feel like he's diminished as a person it's not just an economic situation that they have and he has but he may feel humiliated that this um, skill that he spent his whole life developing has been taken away and the goodness that he has to offer has been taken away from him. He has no way to express that right now if he can't get a job. I mean, he could volunteer or he could spend more time with the kids, but we have to understand the psychological meaning to him. And so I'm not one of these that uh, idealizes the spiritual and neglects the psychological. I think we need to focus on both, and I try to illustrate that in the book. The book is really, in a way, a marriage of a spiritual perspective and a psychological one. Does, does that answer your question? Oh, it, it does. Um, I, it seems to me that we need to find some kind of balance between the spiritual, the psychological, the physical, yes. you know, to, to flourish. Yes. You know, yes. Uh, some, some people, you know, there, there's a phrase, you get too heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Yes. Um, we f- forget sometimes that we need to take care of the body or we forget that we need to nourish the mind as well as the spirit. That's right. That's right. You know, and... Uh, well, I'm very holistic, so you know, you're right down my alley. You know, one of the things I want to ask you about is, and you, you, met, you talk about this in your book, anyway, you, you mentioned it in, in your introduction, uh, how frenetic things are and you know, the continuous communication that you can be in if you so choose. Uh, I know a person who will not let her phone ring more than once or twice. She has to answer it every time. Yes. And I'll say, why don't you let it ring? Let the answering, oh, I can't. I, it might be important. Well, yeah, but it might not. And if it yes. is, they'll leave a message. You know, and, and she's continually interrupted and bombarded with all these outside influences. But we have, you know, we have pollution of all kinds at this point. Yes. What would you recommend to people as a starting place to get in that quiet place, to be able to you know, open their mind uh, in a calm, clearer way, you know, expand their... Um, Expanding inner space? Inner space. Uh, let's go back to your friend for a moment. Your, your friend says that she sort of doesn't want to miss anything. What I might say to your friend is um, that includes you. In other words, she's defining missing as outside of herself. I don't want to miss a message from the outside world, but their message is within. Right now, as people are listening, they might have certain sensations, body sensations or emotions or feelings or fantasies as they're listening to what I'm saying. That's part of our life, too. And if we tune into that, it's actually sometimes a bridge to other people and what they're feeling. So the first place, the first thing I'd recommend is just to try to slow down and become a little bit closer with ourselves, a little bit more of a friend to ourselves, a little more intimate with ourselves. What are we feeling right now? How is our energy level? 
Um, are we tired? Do we need to go to the gym and work out, or do we need to take a quiet walk in nature? Um, do we need to go to the gym, or do we need to, to do a little bit of stretching? Uh, what do we need to help us flourish in the moment? So the first thing is just to slow down and, t- and tune into ourselves. And as a Buddhist teacher, Jack Cornfield once said, he said, you know, there's always another bus. In other words, that message that we miss from the external world or that or that bus we miss, there may be another one coming after it. You know, not right away, but, but after it. And so to to trust more in ourselves and um, try to respect ourselves more, not just run run away from ourselves so quickly. It's easy to run away from ourselves in the society. Yeah. yeah. You, you talk a good bit about meditation. I have a question that's sort of maybe off the wall. And I, I, I really, truly value meditation. Uh, there are a lot of companies now who work with brainwave technology, and they say they give you the same results that meditation would give you because they bring you back bring you down to that same brainwave state that meditation brings you to uh, when, you, when you really are getting into it. Do you, do you see that that's a, you know, the brainwave technology is a viable tool for meditation? I never like to comment on something unless I've experienced it intensively myself. And since I haven't tried it, I don't know the impact on it. But one thing I will say is that I think there's a danger in um, treating meditation too superficially. In other words, just treating it as changing your state of mind right now. It's actually a much more awesome technology. And so I would just be wary of, sort of limiting it to feeling better or quieting ourselves in the moment. It's potentially much more than that. Exactly. And it's time for another break. Um, This is Irene Conlon with the Self-Improvement Show and my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Rubin, saying we'll be right back, so don't go away. Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio. What's missing in your life? Do you feel like you've lost your identity? Are you trying to cope with a loss in your life? Are you trying so hard to be a people pleaser? Stop! Invest some time in Dr. Marla Sloan's program, Mind Over Matters. This program will help you find the answers to these questions and more. Dr. Marla's passion is to help people to be the best they can be. And this program does just that. Tune in to Mind Over Matters with Dr. Marla every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Do you know that digestive problems, ADHD, and chronic pain can be treated naturally? In fact, most health problems can be treated using integrative and alternative medicine. Find out about cancer prevention and managing diabetes. Learn how to use common herbs and spices to treat a variety of conditions. For the sake of your good health, tune in to Natural Solutions with your host, Dr. Sean Palmer. Broadcasting live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. 
Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Rubin. We're talking about flourishing. Dr. Rubin, in your subtitle of your book, you use the phrase, New East-West Approach. Um, Describe what you mean by that for the listeners who aren't tuned into an East-West Approach. Sure. You know, over the last 50 years, let's say around 1960, there's been greater interest in the culture, and it's building, and it's, it's burgeoning right now in integrating East and West, by which I mean um, ancient meditative approaches to, the, to living and modern Western psychological ones. And often these approaches uh, favor one culture or the other. So those that traditionally favor Western culture then think things non-Western or marginal or not important or even pathological. And those that favor Asian cultures think Western stuff is inferior. And what I'm trying to offer is a different new approach that values both cultures and doesn't think they're, they're, either one is superior. Treats them as different but worthy of mutual respect. And so I think it really is a new way to approach East and West. I call it a close encounter of a new kind. Uh, I like that. Where I'm looking at how meditative approaches to the person and to living are different than Western psychological ones and respecting both, but also seeing what they can teach each other. I've been a member of uh, a lot of conferences where they bring together Buddhist teachers and Western therapists, and often they, what happens is what Freud called a monologue without interruption. So the meditators talk about the meditative perspective and the Western therapists talk about the Western. And actually, to be ruthlessly honest, when they leave, nobody is that changed for the encounter. To me, that's not an intimate encounter. An intimate encounter is when you are changed when you loosen your boundaries, as, as you said earlier, and you open up, and you can take in something new. And so in this kind of conversation I'm talking about between East and West, you're capable of being surprised because the other tradition offers something that's not within yours that you didn't think about. And that's what I'm interested in, a sort of conversation that can lead to surprise and growth on the part of both, both sides. Well, it's such a wonderful blend and has so much possibility you know, to open new ways of thinking and experiencing life. I find it refreshing. Let's talk a little bit about the part of your book that deals with relationships. You use the metaphor of a garden in yeah. terms of relationships, and, and what a lovely metaphor that is. Can you talk about relationships as a garden just a little bit? Sure, absolutely. You see, I think... Love is often viewed in too narrow a way. And it's often viewed too much as a feeling, which it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful feeling. It's wonderful when it's present, and it feels horrific when it's absent. But I think that love is also um, an environment that two people um, commit to and nourish and sustain or neglect and erode. And, in other words, like a garden. And once you look at it that way, you, certain um, 
wrong ways of thinking about relationships drop away. So let's say someone's in a relationship and it doesn't feel that good at that moment, or it's a rough patch. Many people falsely conclude, well, that's a sign that I'm not in love with the person, therefore I should get um, separated from them. Well, it may be a sign that you've neglected to water the plant of the relationship and you need to in- invest more time in it. So thinking of it as a garden then brings up the idea that gardens have pests and pestilence and weeds. And so what I try to talk about in the second half of the book, chapter uh, 11 on, is how to uh, pull the weeds that get in the way of love, how to nourish the soil of love, how to harvest a, a loving relationship that you create. You make the statement, and I, I think this is—I think this is one of the most meaningful statements about relationships that I've read in a while. You said, "Crucial to intimacy is the recognition that one's partner is a separate and equivalent center of experience and initiative, a person in his or her own right, not merely an object for the other person's use." Um. It seems that the old, well, let's say I grew up in the 50s, and (laughs) I come from the June Cleaver orientation to relationships. Yep, yep. And many women still get that, as unbelievable as that seems. No, they still do, and one place it comes out is if they they focus on self-care, healthy self-care, it feels, quote, selfish. Exactly. And then they stop doing it, and then they're guilty. And I, frankly, I think religions sometimes feed into this. Oh, frankly, uh, I agree with you. Uh, they make people feel badly about sometimes about that, and I think that that can do someone a disservice. Um, yeah, I'm trying to talk about a whole new way of looking at relationships where both people, and this, by the way, applies lesbian couples out there or gay couples out there or um, people in heterosexual relationships, it's any form of relationships, but it's basically treating both people as equal and then seeing how the relationship can be a site that nourishes and, and is, nourishes and supports the growth of both of them at the same time. Exactly. You also make the statement the relationship is a we that cherishes both eyes. I love that word, cherishes. Um, it puts a whole different feel to relationship than what we may have traditionally grown up with. Yeah, you see, then the focus becomes, can this relationship be a place where I can not only love someone else and be loved, but access the best within me and live a full and vital life and then pass that on to other people, whether children or relatives or or friends and, and be an inspiration to other couples but it's and then it makes it really worthwhile to be in the relationship many relationships um, have lack good communication or there was a mismatch in and who in the people picking each other and then there are hidden resentments and not so hidden resentments and then they have to be buried for purposes of, of survival and then tension grows and it uh, depletes a tremendous amount of energy I'm trying to talk about different kinds of relationships in this book that could be a place that enriches both people at the same time as, um, as you say in your review, a we that cherishes both eyes. Exactly. You, you also say the biggest source of conflict is the urge to win. Talk a little bit about that. I totally agree sure. with that. Sure. 
Um, one of the things I've seen in many, many years of couples therapy is that the key problem is not a money, sex, in-laws, but something else, and that's the urge to win. When we're trying to win, uh, the other person becomes an adversary, and then uh, when there's one, lo- one winner, you have to have another who's a loser. So it's not the right environment to create greater depth and, and safety and intimacy. And so some of the signals of trying to win are things like uh, you're constructing your argument while your, your spouse or a friend or partner is still speaking, or you're trying to knock down what they're saying or find the holes in it. Um, or later you feel demoralized after the discussion. That may be a sign that they were trying to win. So what I'm talking about is a whole different spirit where we replace the urge to win with the uh, struggle to understand. And when we struggle to understand each other, it creates a virtuous circle instead of a vicious cycle. It creates a sense of, oh boy, I can feel they are trying to understand me. I'm going to stretch myself to try to understand them. And then your partner picks that up, and then they try harder, and you set up um, a new direction of greater safety, greater trust, and uh, ultimately more intimacy. Do you see in your practice couples who are always playing one-upmanship? Is that a big part of their... Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's the chief thing that most couples struggle with that come to see me, and that would be another sign of trying to win one-upmanship. Uh, and the thing that people don't realize is either, e- even if you win, you lose, because if you win, you have a spouse or a friend or a partner who's a loser and who feels like they've lost, and then they will pay back the favor. So your in-laws will be over, or you'll be at a dinner party, and they will snipe at you, or they'll with- withhold sexually or withdraw from you emotionally or be passive-aggressive and punish you by not doing things that they say they were going to do, like calling the travel agent or looking up something on the Internet. So it's lose, lose. The, the urge to try to win is lose-lose for both people. Always. 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 It's like and then if there's City. children... It's like going to Atlantic City. Over time, you can't win. The house is going to win. The house is going to win, always, yes. Now, we have Vegas, you have... Yeah, Atlantic City, same right. same thing. It's it's a gamble. Yeah. Um, some relationships, if you're not well grounded in the first place, are gambles, aren't they? Yes, but we have a shot at making it work if we can bridge the gap with this spirit of understanding, which again, other people feel when they're in your presence. I mean, I've had this when I've taught, and usually when you teach, there's one person every time that you know, wants to show up the speaker or wants to get in their point of view, wants to argue and wants to win, basically, rather than understand. And sometimes what I found is when you meet that energy, that sort of one-up, it's often a male energy, when you meet that energy with uh, compassion and kindness, sometimes what happens is the, you can see the person shifting in the moment and, uh, and not battling with you, but engaging in a mutual dialogue to try to figure out what's going on. And I would guess that their spouse is quite grateful when they see that that they do settle down with some yeah. understanding. And, and I guess what I want to say is you're role modeling for the partner when that happens, aren't you? Yes, and you're also role modeling for the person that I, I once led a group on the Art of Flourishing. It was a week-long seminar at Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California. 
and there was someone that was doing that all group. And at the end of the week, uh, and I tried to meet that energy with kindness and compassion, and the person kept trying to win. Basically, one of the problems was the person was uh, uh, older than me, and I think that they were resentful that someone younger was leading the workshop. <sighs> and um, But I kept meeting the energy as kindly as I could. And at the end of the week, the per- when we went around in group, the person said one of the things they wanted was more male friendship. And with a lot of compassion, I, I, I or someone else said to them, you know, the way you approach Jeffrey all week is not a way where you're ever going to have more male friends. And so it was a very, very profound moment of learning. So, yeah, there can be powerful learning to try to open up. But this is a very important principle also in friendship, this trying to, and just practice it today. If someone says something that you don't like or someone says something that, challenges you and instead of immediately defending yourself and arguing um say tell me more i want to i want to understand how i've let you down or i want to understand what i'm missing about myself and often you will notice in the person's chest area and their breathing pattern a softening uh, the person who's been challenging once you're kind to them once you don't fight with them that's a wonderful response. <clears throat> we should remember that. And right now, we need to take our final break. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Jeffrey Rubin, saying stay tuned. We'll be right back. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Do you know that digestive problems, ADHD, and chronic pain can be treated naturally? In fact, most health problems can be treated using integrative and alternative medicine. Find out about cancer prevention and managing diabetes. Learn how to use common herbs and spices to treat a variety of conditions. For the sake of your good health, tune in to Natural Solutions with your host, Dr. Sean Palmer. Broadcasting live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to the Self Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1 866 613 1612. That's 1 866 613 1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the self improvement show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Rubin. And if you're like me, you're going to want to know more about those things that Dr. 
Rubin has done and the books he's written. So, Dr. Rubin, tell us how people can find you on the Internet, how they could contact you if, if that's appropriate, and where they can find your book. Sure. Uh, those who want to write to me, uh, Jeffrey Rubin, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-R-U-B-I-N, at optonline.net, O-P-T-online.net. Feel free to write. I'll answer. Um, I, I don't check email compulsively, but I check at the beginning of the day and, and in the evening, so I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Um, those who want to check about upcoming talks, they're listed at my website, drjeffreyrubin.com, D-R-J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-R-U-B-I-N.com. Um, I also have a blog on the book on those on Facebook. It's called The um, Art of Flourishing. Um, and uh, those who want to reach me, uh, my city office number is 212-664-0751. Give them that again. 212-664-0751. And those who want to buy the book, uh, on my website there are links to indie books, um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, that kind of thing, and then some Borders and Barnes and Noble, you know, local ones might have it, or you can order it from them, or you know, whatever's comfortable. Wonderful. Have you done a, a book tour with this new book? No, I haven't. I haven't. Are you Are you going to be doing some book signings, or only around in New York? Only around. Although, if I'm invited, I I would be open to doing it elsewhere. If I, you know, if I was invited to do talks, oh, I have some upcoming talks. There's a talk at. Uh, I'm giving a keynote address at the American Psychological Association in Washington, Friday, August 5th, on the art of flourishing. And uh, the other talks are tending to be in the New York area, but if opportunities come up in other places, I, I love to speak with people and learn where they're at and share what I'm interested in. So if other things came up in other parts of the country, I'd be very open to it. But not, nothing scheduled as of yet. Well, the book just has to have a little time to percolate when yes. people see what you have in it. I hope it catches on like wildfire because it's a very good book. You're, you're going to be speaking to the Psychiatric Association. How is your book received in the more traditional circles of psychotherapy? I don't know because I haven't gotten feedback yet. The book came out June 7th, so I just don't know. Uh, I don't know yet, and I haven't seen any reviews yet, um, so it's hard to say. I would think, this is just my own guess, but I would think that they're beginning to soften up to some of the ideas you put forth, like using meditation um, and um, some of the more spiritual approaches. I don't think it's quite as walled off as it used to be you know, back in the day when I did my psychiatric nursing. Um, you wouldn't even consider talking about meditation. Yes, I think that's right. I think things are much more open and receptive now. And one of the places that I feel hope is that I feel if people are presented with something that's grounded and legitimate and hopeful, that many people will be receptive to it. And that's my attitude about the material in the book. And I, I try to stay within only what I've experienced either myself or with clients, so I know it works. And I, and I feel confident that if people are open-minded enough and they're exposed to the arguments that I'm presenting in a clear way, that they'll be receptive to it. I'm going to watch it um, because I really, I, my prediction is that it's going to be extremely well received. And, and some of the psychotherapists who are more traditional, they may have an aha moment 
saying, ah, this, this is going to work, this fits, this is new. It's always nice to see wonderful new things come into rather old traditions. Yes, <laughs> and I think that, you know, meditators are more and more in therapy. There was an article, those in the audience are interested about uh, a Zen master who was in a psychoanalytic treatment with me. It was written about in the April 2009 New York Times Magazine. So more and more Buddhists are going to therapy, including teachers, and more and more therapists are doing yoga and meditation and practicing Tai Chi. So I think there's a cultural change that people are looking for something new and fresh that has substance and that will open their hearts and their minds and and contribute to creating a better world. So I think there's a more and more openness to that. With access to the world, so easy. It seems to be opening people's mind to accept new ideas and new ways of thinking. Absolutely. And I think what we, you know, we see entertainers that are meditating and athletes that are doing yoga. It is more and more of what I call cross-pollination in the culture. So we're at a cultural moment where it's a very, very ripe time, which to me is another source of hope that we have these ancient traditions and modern traditions are cross-fertilizing right now. And so it's a, it's a great moment in terms of that. Oh, I totally agree. It's like making stew. You can put just salt in it and it's okay, but if you really spice it up, it gets to be wonderful. Yes, that's right. That's right. And, and that's, you know, that, that's kind of the, how I see, you know, that's what I see happening in, in uh, society and, and in healthcare in general. We're yes, seeing you see that kind too in West, you know, Western medicine and non traditional approaches, whether massage or Reiki or acupuncture being utilized in different, you know, better nutrition. Yeah, we're at a point where we're capable of doing that as a culture, and I think it's a wonderful moment. Oh, I, I think it's just so refreshing. It's, it's exciting to see. It's exciting to know that, you know, people who are very, very spiritual will now go to see somebody for help, you know, see a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and that people who have been into psychiatry will look to some spiritual influences to, uh, you know, accelerate their healing. That's right. That's right. What I try to do in the book is, is to uh, chart that and also talk about what I think is the next stage, which is how to think about it in a more um, critical way. Not just a sort of mixing and matching of anything, but just like if you were making a stew, you'd pause and you'd have to taste it to make sure it's not too much of this or that. That's what I'm also trying to do in the book. I'm trying to present this stuff, but also be discerning about it. Wonderful. I hate to say this, but we're right up to the end of the show. So what's the thought you'd like to leave with our listeners today? There's more hope than we know, and it lies in our hands, and we can do it, and we need to slow down, tune into ourselves, be kinder to ourselves and each other, and, and we could create a better world together. Thank you so much. Dr. Jeffrey Rubin, it's been an absolute delight having you on the show. I mean, thank you so much. I loved your questions, and I look forward to speaking to you again. I look forward to that as well. So join us again next week. This is Irene Conlon saying goodbye for now. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.